1: Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window. This is the podcast that not only takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football, but brings you insight and analysis on the issues that matter every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. I'm Johnny McFarlane and joining me are pundits extraordinaire Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry. On today's Transfer Podcast, it's your questions answered. We assess the current state of Premier League officiating and ask do English referees allow physicality to prosper at the expense of skill? With Maurizio Pochettino's future in London uncertain, could Daniel Levy turn to Jose Mourinho to take Spurs to the next level? And, Neymar to Madrid is the transfer story that just won't go away, but will the Spanish Giants' number one target cut the mustard as the main man at such a huge club? Well, there's only one place to start this week, and I know it's your questions answered, but there's been big news coming out of Madrid with the appointment of Zinedine Zidane as manager for a second time to Real Madrid. It's just nine months after he left the club. Uh, to get a recharge of the old batteries. Duncan, has that been long enough for him to do that? And is this a good move given the struggles that Real Madrid have been having?
0: Well, he wanted to take a year sabbatical, but he has been out um, for the best part of a season. Now, I think when you look at other managers who've who've taken um, sabbaticals in these circumstances, they tend to get their energy back um, earlier than they expected. I mean, I've talked to to coaches, top coaches, who had planned to take holidays um, and didn't even want to think about getting back into the game um, for a, a sustained period of time. And um, the tendency of what I've seen with them is once they've had a little rest, um, then their 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 focus. And their appetite for football comes back pretty quickly, and they start thinking about the next job, and they start thinking about um, what they want to do with their next team and where they want their career to go. It's I think it's like anyone in any walk of life. Um, every so often you need a holiday, um, when you're really tired, um, you don't want to think about your job anymore. But ultimately, if you if you enjoy that job, if it's something you like doing. Uh, a little, just a little break. Uh, allows you to to recharge and um, and have that sense of, yeah, let's get back in it again. So I, I don't think that's a problem at all for Zidane. Um, obviously, there's nothing um, for him to win now uh, and that's why he's got the job at this point um, because Solari had such a terrible uh, week going out of three competitions um, uh, in, in a week um, and forcing... Uh, Florentino Perez's hand in terms of, of making an immediate change to satisfy the fans, so he can use the rest of the season as, as kind of preparation for next season. Um, I actually think he's been extremely clever here. Um, he chose to leave on his terms after winning the Champions League. He was um, very much aware that this was going to be a really difficult season for Real Madrid because Florentino Perez had allowed their best player, best player in football, to move to another club. The guy who had set Champions League um, scoring marks season after season um, in those seasons when Madrid won consecutive Champions Leagues, uh, was allowed to go. Zidane was against it um, and he has managed not only to separate himself from that by not being, not sullying his reputation by being in charge of the team when they were minus Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, he's now come back to the club following two failed appointments uh, with his power base significantly enhanced. Um, you know, in those discussions with Florentino Perez, when he was asked to come back, he has made it clear that he wants changes and the, and the squad must be improved and that he should have more. Um, saying those changes than, than he would have had uh, in previous circumstances so it's good for Zidane um, as we discussed on the podcast the job that he wanted was the Juventus job uh, long term down the line it's a, a club that he knows well he wants to coach in Italy uh, he obviously has assessed this and, and seen and decided for himself that going back to Madrid at this point is a safer bet for him um, and uh, and the job, you know, the job in the hand is worth one in the bush because there was no guarantee uh, that uh, that Juventus would, would offer him that position um, if Allegri goes through with what is likely to happen uh, and and leaves Juventus at the end of the season. So there are lots of parts to this, um, but I think the the important part is Zidane has assessed it and said, yeah, I want to do this again. Um, I think I can achieve things at Madrid. The time's right for me.
2: He comes in at a very low bar. Um, this is one of Madrid's worst seasons in the last three decades. Um, and he is not going to be tarnished uh, with any of the chaos c- created mainly by President Florentino Perez in the um, appointment of uh, Julian Loptigui, uh then the sacking of him weeks later, and then the push with Santiago Solari. Uh, and now a, a third manager in a season. And even for Real Madrid that is unusual. Uh, we're usually seeing those like managers on a win. But for three in a season, um, with still um ten games I think or so to go in La Liga is unusual. So um they're at the Champions League, they're not gonna win La Liga, therefore Zidane has he's got a free hit for the next, you know, three months into May to assess what he wants to do with the current players and to tell and this is unusual to tell Perez who he wants to come in and replace them Um, he must have some kind of guarantees of what control he has over that in order to go back in these circumstances Um, I don't think it's um, inaccurate that reports in Spain have said that Um, Some senior players disapproved of the reappointment of Jose Mourinho instead. I think um, Perez himself would have preferred to have a leader and a strong personality like Mourinho in charge for the near future. Um, I've said before in the podcast that uh, Zidane, according to people who work with him and around him, is a little bit flaky, can be. uh, And hence, uh, for the last five, six months of his last uh, time at Madrid, which was of course was only last season, um, senior figures at the Bernabeu were concerned that he would quit anyway because he felt he was burning out. Um, so to come back so soon after nine months I think is a bit of a risk for both the club and for the manager. But um, I, I watched his press conference um, and I thought he looked relaxed. He looked someone uh, like someone who knew what he was doing apart from his trousers. And um, uh, yeah, I you know, it'll work. Dan is someone who goes in that dressing room and, and absolutely commands respect um, because of his achievements with the club as a player and as a player full stop, uh, and as a manager. So um, they've probably got the right man in the interim. I'm just not sure that you know the contractor he signed will be seen out. I think that you know the problems that surfaced for him in the final year of his time there. And remember, he does have some problems there to sort out. Sergio Ramos was a problem; it always is. Luka Modric, Gareth Bale, these are all big figures in that dressing room and they've each got different problems with what's going on at the club and they want different outcomes and solutions to resolve that. So he is going to be tried and tested in the next three to four months and he has to be very strong in what he decides he wants and what he decides to tell Perez regarding how the squad is restructured.
0: Yeah, look, roll it back to last summer. Sudan has his decision again. If he stays at the club, um, you cannot see him winning the Champions League again uh, for a fourth consecutive season with the squad the way it is. You can't see him winning La Liga. Um, and obviously he himself <laughs> didn't see it likely that he won either of those if he remained in charge. Now, if, if he had done, gone through this season without a Liga victory and without a Champions League victory, I can guarantee you he would be sacked. At the end of the season, because Perez has looked, had looked, it's forgotten that Perez had looked at replacing him as coach every season he was in charge in Madrid um, because he wasn't happy with something at some point during that season. So Zidane has played this very well. On Mourinho, it's definitely the case that Florentino Perez um, wanted to bring Mourinho back. He tried to bring him back at the sacking of Lopotegui. And it's clear that Perez had the club brief the Madrid media um, after the decision was taken to dispense with Santiago Solari, um, that Mourinho was the preferred choice and that they wanted to bring him back. And this is a classic Madrid-Florentino Perez tactic, which is brief something, get it out in all the Spanish papers, but most in, in, in particular the Madrid-following um, media, and see what the public reaction is to that um, stance. The public reaction was bad, I think there were polls in at least one of the papers and uh, I think less than a third of the respondents were in favour of Mourinho coming back so I think that that um, sent them down a different path but there's another element to this which is that Mourinho himself was sceptical about coming back to Madrid. Um, Talking to people close to him over the past few weeks uh, he, his position on Madrid has been. I left that club because I wanted to leave the club. I wanted to go back to Premier League football. At the time, it was my choice to go. Um, it was a difficult job for various reasons. Um, he, you've seen him speak publicly uh, on multiple occasions now about the importance of going of his next job being at the right club with the right structure that's supportive around him and. I think there's an, there was an obvious um, risk and, and problem of returning to Madrid um, in these circumstances because the structure was not going to be there. There were going to be significant internal problems guaranteed because what Florentino wanted them to come in and do was, um, was uh, basically get rid of, of some of the most powerful players, such as Sergio Ramos, um, and rebuild and, you know, maybe 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, uh, that would be an attractive thing to Mourinho. But at this stage of his career, after what's happened at Manchester United, with this idea in his head that um, that there has to be the correct empathy with, within the club, that he doesn't want to be that structure by himself, as he puts it, I think it, it, was, it was more questionable. And there are other jobs he's looking at, um, you know, Inter, Inter Milan has been mentioned several times, Inter are interest in bringing him back. He has question marks over that, depending on um, how much uh, support there is uh, in terms of financing to take Juventus on. Uh, and there's the possibility of Paris Saint-Germain opening up, which is a club who has offered him... Um, the job uh, on, on at least three occasions in the past and, um, and we'd have obvious attractions. So, so there, there's, there's two sides to what happened here, but I think the important thing is that, that Florentino floated the idea of Mourinho and got a bad response and then backed off.
1: Okay, we're going right in with a question from at Derchio. Dericchio. Dericchio don't know how you would pronounce that. Um, That's the Brazilian version, Derikio.
0: Johnny McFarlane not knowing how to pronounce something. I've never come across (laughs) that
1: before. No,
2: Johnny, i have just think Big Sam would be able to
1: tell you how to pronounce it. Um, He doesn't have an actual name, so we're just going to have to stick with that. (coughs) Derikio. Um, For the next Transfer podcast, can you discuss the spate of poor officiating that's blighting the Premier League this year? It's calamitous. Duncan, is that a fair assessment?
0: Yeah, I think the officiating is is really bad Um, I wouldn't use this year in the sentence I I think um, Premier League's had a a problem with poor officiating for a number of years my own view is it's essentially a self-created problem I think um, the the issue is that the Premier League is more tolerant of aggressive play um, than any other major league in football Um, I think this is deliberate. I think it's handed down from um, the league itself to uh, PGMOL. Why do they do it? Because one of the selling points of the Premier League is it's more aggressive, it's faster, um, it's more dramatic because of those things. So um, there is clear guidance to English referees. You see the guys who get promoted to the, the, uh, the finals and to European and FIFA level Uh, uh, as being the the, the top referees from the division are the ones who go into most games with the attitude of let the game flow not going to give fouls early on unless I really have to give a foul Uh, I'm certainly not going to book anyone unless it's really really clear cut that it's a booking and at all costs avoid red cards Um, not only early in the game but through most of the duration of the game Um, and there's no doubt that that style of refereeing um, genu- generally works from a spectacle point of view. There are big exceptions, because, I, and, and I think the, the best example of this is the, the 2010 World Cup final, where Howard Webb applied that um, English trademark refereeing style to a game in which uh, Holland, uh, the Netherlands, went out to um, kick Spain off the park. Um, because they decided they couldn't beat them playing football. Uh, And Webb apparently had no conception of what was going on, no realisation of what was going on, um, and allowed foul after foul um, clear yellow card fouls early on in the match until Spain retaliated, and he wasn't in a position to book Spain. And there should have been a you know there should have been a red card for a studs up assault into the chest, which Webb let off with a yellow card. And the game was one of the worst World Cup finals ever. Um, and for uh, for me. Watching yeah, I was interested that game. My job actually was to write about the referee. It was right for the Sunday Times. They wanted a, quite a long piece on the referee because it was an English referee. So I focused on him and his decisions through the match, whereas most of my colleagues would have been focusing on the, on the football uh, being played. Um, my particular focus was on the refereeing. And, and it was clear what was going on. And he messed up a, a really good game. And, and we've seen that with Mark Clattenberg, Um, I think of the the Euro uh, 2016 final that Portugal won um, where Cristiano Ronaldo was lost to the game in I think the first 15 minutes because uh, a very heavy foul was put in on him Uh, and I'm sure that uh, France went into that game knowing Mark Klattenberg was the referee and Klattenberg would tolerate early fouls because that was his style of refereeing. He'd just come out. Of the, one of the amazing things was he got that final after being in charge of probably the worst refereed game um, in the Premier League that season, the, the Battle of Stamford Bridge, where Tottenham and Chelsea um, were uh, he absolutely t- tore pieces off each other and ended up fighting at the side of the pitch. Again, as a result of Klattenberg um, not wanting to let Play flow and not intervening early on and allowing a, a series of, of dangerous tackles. <laughs> and you know, if you want a, a, an overall summation of where English football is and the problems are, you should go and um, f- uh, look for a podcast that Klattenberg did last year. I think, in which he discussed his refereeing career and um, in the terms you'd expect from someone who seems to have a, a places uh, abilities in extremely high esteem. And was asked to cite a game he was particularly proud of, and, and unbelievably, Clattenburg picked up, picked out that game as the one match in his career he was particularly proud of how he'd handled. Um, and the reason he was proud of how he how he'd handled it was, he said, um, he wasn't prepared to send Tottenham players off because he didn't want Tottenham accusing him of costing them the Premier League, and he wanted to keep his name out of the headlines. So, I think I think that's probably. Um, if you want one example of the problems English refereeing has, Mark Clattenburg, Mark Clattenburg talking about that game, it will, it's a very good place to start because it shows that the priorities in terms of protecting the most skillful players on the field and the priorities of the referee uh, placing the game um, above himself and his promotion um, are big issues for English football and. I think that feeds down to the line where you get the situations you get this um, season and, and have had in, in basically every season I remember um, recently in the Premier League.
2: bit of contention just this, this weekend about um, John Moss's performance in the Arsenal-Manchester United game. Um, and a lot of people uh, asking, does, is Moss overweight? Now, <clears throat> I can't obviously answer that question. What I can say is that the referees have two training camps, uh, one pre-season and one mid-season, when they are put through fairly stern physical tests. I've been there, but it's happened um, a few years ago. And they do seem to be very fit. But I do take Duncan's point that um, the Premier League and PGMOL, who who uh, administer the referees uh, for the Premier League, don't uh, want to, to send players off, especially around again. game. There was an example in the infamous M23 derby uh, on Saturday afternoon when Brighton played Crystal Palace. And um, in the first minute, Anthony of um, Brighton, he's booked clearly high, When in to where it really is going to hurt you. And I don't think I have to explain it any more than that, uh, Milojevic. And um, he, he got a yellow card. And it, could, it would probably be been a red card, all things being equal, cool, say, 30 minutes into the game or certainly 70 minutes into the game. But well, that's an example of what referees are told not to do. Do not waste the spectacle by sending. And that's ridiculous because the rules are there for the reason. Either it's a red card or it is not. You know that's, and, and that's how it should be administered on the field. Uh, and unfortunately, it isn't. And um, I've heard referees, uh, English referees, that is, talk about going to um, referee in Champions League <clears throat> when English clubs obviously aren't involved and having to change the style that they referee in. Because they have to apply UEFA rules, FIFA rules. So, hang on. There's no such thing as UEFA and FIFA rules and English rules. But that's how they, that's the way in which they speak. That they actually referee in a different way when they go abroad and, and, and referee international matches. So it is a problem. But as I said, I don't think there's going to be a a, a remedy anytime soon because it is the blood and thunder mentality. Uh, of English football, and you still hear it, don't you? Especially from ex-pros. Oh, you know, a great clatter of a challenge is just as satisfying as seeing a beautiful goal score. Not for all of us. I
0: think I think that's the the, the key point. You know, I mean, the 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 standard complaint when um, you say something should have been a foul, or something should be a yellow card, or something should be a red card is it's a contact sport. Um, you know, you're being soft. And I understand that. and <laughs> I think I understand it because the way I played football, I wasn't—I wasn't, I wasn't um, in any way a technical footballer. My game was about uh, running hard, running right places, and tackling really hard. Um, and great, you can you can make up for a lack of skill by playing that way. But do we want uh, less skillful players to prosper in a sport uh, because they're allowed to? Um, hurt and take their opponents off the pitch. Um, you know, look, go back to the Manchester United-Liverpool game recently. Uh, Jordan Henderson uh, hitting uh, Marcus Rashford, Manchester United's most dangerous striker, early on in the game with a heavy tackle from the back into his ankle, which injured the player. If you're trying to tell me that wasn't deliberate, you're trying to tell me that Jordan Henderson wasn't aware that he would get away with that in that game. Uh, nine times out of ten, he's never going to get a red card. The worst he would get is a yellow card. You're just wrong. He knew that, that you're you're he was allowed a freebie, basically, on their best player. Now, it's a, a contact sport, yes, but what do you want to prioritise? Do you want to prioritise that or do you want to prioritise watching skillful players? Because if you want to prioritise watching skillful players, and that's what Football Rule have done, over the last 20, 25 years. And I think Seth Blatter deserves a huge amount of credit for this in that he, as FIFA president, continually and repeatedly changed the rules of the game to allow uh, players with skill to prosper, to prevent them from being kicked out of matches, to have players immediately sent off for for dangerous tackles, things that, that never happened before in the game. And because of that, we have Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo and the careers that they have had, because they've been protected to a relative extent through the course of their careers. They've been able to stay on the pitch more. They've been able to show us their skill. So if it comes down to, it's a contact sport and we should allow heavy tackles because it, it, it's entertaining and we like that and it's and it used to be that way, or it comes down to, I want to watch skillful players um, beat individuals with their talent on the ball and with their pace. Uh, And with their invention and score goals, I know which side I'm choosing every time.
2: And just quickly, Johnny, I think probably the the worst example, if you like, of this uh, mentality. We've been deprived of seeing possibly the best player in the Premier League last season, Kevin De Bruyne, by injury from almost the whole of this season for exactly this reason. So, you know, do we want to see De Bruyne play? Yeah, of course we do. So why are we allowing him to be fouled so much?
1: Right, we go to another question, um, this time from at It's Me JVK. And he's got a question about Jose Mourinho. He says, I have a feeling Jose might go to Spurs. What's your view on that? Well, who else to answer but Mr Duncan Castles?
0: Um, It's a good question. I think uh, there's no doubt that Jose Mourinho has a lot of respect for Tottenham Hotspur's football club. Um, he considers them to have one of the best squads in England certainly one of the best first teams um, you can go through his interviews and you can see him talking about the quality players Tottenham have and how clever they were uh, in retaining their top players for uh, this season um, even though they didn't do anything in the transfer market, the, the real success was to, to keep Kane, Eriksson um, for the, the campaign in Mourinho's view um, it's in London, where his family home is, so there, there's a, a big attraction there. Um, the, the problems, of course, are, um, would Tottenham be able to pay the kind of salary Mourinho um, is used to earning and would probably expect in his next job? Would Daniel Levy be prepared to hire um, a man whose reputation has been damaged in uh, England, um, with what has happened to him at, at the club, and with his who is popular with um, the majority of the football media, and will um, for sure, as soon as something appears uh, in his public statements or his behaviour, which is seen as uh, ammunition to attack him, would be immediately attacked in a way that um, a new manager coming into England uh, will not receive. Um, but I think the most fundamental problem is there would have to be a vacancy. And um, I think it's fairly clear now that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to become the permanent manager of Manchester United. Therefore, that job is out for Pochettino. Um, you could see him having the possibility of going across London to Chelsea um, uh, there'd be a, an invitation there for him next season. But why would he want to do that, given the problems that are at Chelsea and the, and the friction involved in, in trying to make such a move? Until Pochettino's situation is resolved, and we know Pochettino is, is agitating to go elsewhere, but until he's actually out of the club, um, I think uh, the possibility of, of Mourinho uh, going to Tottenham is 0 However, the question is a valid one because it is a position that um, that is of interest to.
2: I'm not sure, um, Duncan, that we, and I'm sad to say, that we will see Jose Mourinho back in English football um, as a Premier League manager. I think um, the second spell at Chelsea and how that ended, and then the spell at Manchester United and how that ended, um, will put a lot of clubs off hiring him, as well as, as you said, the the, the perception of him in the media and um, how he was certainly treated differently from other managers um, and not given the same um, treatment uh, that others have had, preferential treatment almost, in terms of their media uh, profile. I would say this: he came very close to becoming England manager, um, I think it was 2007, I think or 2008, um, after he left Chelsea the first time. Um, And I don't know, (laughs) I think there's something in Josie that he'd love to manage the England national team. Um, Why not the FA think that way is another question altogether.
1: One of the players we've been talking about since the inception of the transfer window is Neymar. And it looks like that a move away from Paris Saint-Germain is going to be certainly something that we're going to be talking about for some time yet. It was news that we broke on the transfer window podcast that Neymar was a firm target for Real Madrid. And Duncan, there seems to be a growing sense that this is something that could very well happen.
0: Yeah, as, as we reported a couple of weeks ago, he is number one target for Real Madrid. Um, Florentino Perez is going all out to secure a player he's been trying to get since he was um, a teenager in Brazil and, and failed and lost to, to Barcelona. Um, we've seen Neymar talking about Real Madrid uh, and saying how how enticing it would be to move there. Um and uh, that, uh, for the time being, he sees his future in in Paris Saint Germain. At the moment, he sees his future today. He's, I see my future uh, in Paris. In Paris, but in three months, who knows? The future can change. So all the all the signals are there from the player. Um, so Madrid know the player wants to come, and they know his father is open to the the move, um, and they have the financial wherewithal to put a very big offer in place. So. Um, tail end of last week, one of the uh, bigger Spanish um, papers Sport, reporting that the the offer would be 350 million euros um, to Paris Saint-Germain and um, the player would be paid 45 million euros a year on his contract. Um, So yeah, as you say, uh, I think we're going to have more and more of this as we go through the season. It's very live. Um, it's something Madrid are working on. It's something Neymar wants. Um, the question is uh, getting the assent of Qatar to let the player go.
2: Well, I mean, <clears throat> it's quite simple, really, to get Neymar to Madrid. It's just sign his system. I mean, that's obviously all I have to do because he's. Uh, both of them seem to be joined at the hip. So, um, so joking aside, I'm not sure how much his system um, costs. Yeah, look, <laughs> we, we've, we've long known Real Madrid's. Um, transfer business has been minimal now, for six windows. Now that's just not Perez's style. It's not Real Madrid's style. It's almost a sense that at Real, you know, <clears throat> we only ever buy the very best players. Therefore, if they're not available, then we're not going to spend. And they did it repeatedly in the two thousands. Remember the, the galactical years, as their form to remember, where they signed one major player per per summer. Um, and they haven't been doing that. And they need to regenerate that team. Yes, they've got probably in the region of 500 million euros to spend in the summer if if it's needed. So, And we know that Neymar is, and we've said this, becoming at least uh, uneasy or dissatisfied uh, with his time in Paris in terms of what the competition is like in Ligue 1, as well as the fact of the failure of the, the club. um, Not to progress in the Champions League, of course, when he's not playing, then that doesn't help. Uh, he's, he seems to always have a little metatarsal problem at this time of year around his sister's birthday. So, um, but you know, I think it, I would say that right now the chances of this going through were. were in favour of Real Madrid, I'd say maybe 60-40, but Duncan's right. Ultimately, it will be the owners of PSG who decide well not to release Neymar, and the, let's face it, the money doesn't really mean anything to them. It'll certainly go down well with their FFP filings, that's for sure. Um, maybe they can uh, spend a bit more money um, starting in the summer if they do sell it. but other than that, yeah, it's going to be down to the owners rather than Neymar himself.
0: Just, there was an interesting uh, reports of confrontations between Sergio Ramos and Florentino Perez after um, yeah. Madrid's defeat to Ajax and basically the, the, the line was that Ramos told Florentino it was his fault because he hadn't replaced Cristiano Ronaldo with a striker um, and so you get the element of why Neymar would be so, so important there and Ramos is supposed uh, sorry, Florentino is supposed to have responded by saying oh, it's your fault too and I'll get rid of you um, to sort this out so that gives you a sense of where uh, the club are um, and a kind of overhaul that uh, Florentino has uh, is envisaging envis- um, with the club. Um, he wants the dressing room sorted out. Um, he wants the power of individuals like Sergio Ramos um, removed from them. Whether that requires them to be sold, uh, I think is still undecided, but he definitely wants the dressing room put in its place, which of course is why um, Jose Mourinho is has been a strong candidate for the role Why Jose Mourinho was asked to come back to Madrid um, after uh, Florentino uh, sacked uh, Julian Lopetegui earlier in the season.
1: Duncan, there's no doubt that Neymar can do a hell of a trick, but does he have the mentality, the strength of will, the desire to be the number one guy at a club the size of Real Madrid?
0: I haven't seen it. I think, uh, and from what I what I hear about Neymar, um, this you know, w- when he left the Paris Saint Germain, the story was he was leaving to Paris, leaving Barcelona to become the main man at a team because he wanted to be uh, recognised as the best footballer in the world. Um, that was his overriding ambition, and to attain his overriding ambition, he was. Um, electing t- to leave the, you know, the famous attack uh, of Barcelona, um, but what I'm told about Neymar, it's more that's more driven by the people around him rather than him. Uh, he he doesn't have that desire that a Cristiano Ronaldo or a Lionel Messi has to repeatedly prove themselves as the best, um, and. I don't think, I don't think that appears halfway through a career. Um, there's no doubt he's capable of great things on the football pitch um, when he is focused. Um, I was, a remember the the 2014 World Cup uh, going into that, where he, he he was expected to lead Brazil on the pitch to try and win the the title, and I was pretty skeptical of him being able to do that given. And what I'd heard about his character and the, and the way I'd seen him play up until that stage. And he was, I thought, really, really good in that tournament um, until he was uh, uh, taken out um, in the, the quarterfinal. A um, you know, quarterfinal in which Brazil lost their, their best defender, probably the best defender in the world at the time, Thiago Silva, and their best attacker um, in one game. And, and then obviously got destroyed by Germany, in the semi-final, I think it has pretty much as a direct result. So I've seen him put it together on the highest stage for a number of consecutive games. So he is capable of it, um, but whether he's able to do that in a club situation as opposed to being the national hero um, and the the strength of passion and, and intensity Brazil to try and to win that World Cup on their own soil. You, you had to be there uh, and experience it to realise just how how important that was. So, so whether he, whether he's got that at the club level over a, over the period of a season, I'm not sure. And and you know, we talked. I talked about this in the podcast before. I, I kind of see Neymar as being in a similar category to Paul Pogba in that they're both immensely well paid they both have huge status um in you know in in general life uh beyond football they've got you know massive social media followings huge commercial revenues um despite not yet having achieved all they can achieve in in football despite not having put themselves on that that uh, platform of being the very best players in the game. And maybe if you have that too early in your career um, and you don't have the overriding, you know, that special mentality that someone like Ronaldo has, you're never going to get it because there's there's no motivation for it. And it's too easy for you to slide into when things are difficult, as, you know, we saw with Paul Pogba at Manchester United, when things get difficult, it's too easy to slide into it. It's someone, someone else's fault, and I, I can, I can take my foot off the pedal. Um, I can um, focus on something else. I can, I can just not be bothered doing everything I need to do because I know my employers are, aren't going to punish me for it. Uh, I know ultimately, because I'm so expensive to them and important to them, they'll go with what I want, um, and if you're in that circumstances how do you become the very best
2: I'd compare him to a different Paul um, not Paul but, but Gascoigne he looks lost he, he, he doesn't really know what it is he wants to achieve in life <clears throat> he's been given all this talent and now he's been given all this money and so life is not hard for him um, this is Neymar not Gascoigne obviously and um, yeah he, he just looks to, it's like he's adrift almost um, and, and doesn't have any direction and I think going to a club like Real Madrid would possibly <clears throat> save him from himself uh, <clears throat> because it is such a, a huge pressure to play for Real Madrid and he would be the focal point of that team. Um, but he needs to do it and he, he needs to take responsibility for himself. Um, and only that way will we find out if Neymar truly is one of the world's great players.
0: You're he's, he's saying uh, Neymar's future is as a manager of Kettering Town, Ian.
1: I'm sure they'd get interested. Especially for especially
2: with, especially with player manager.
1: Well, one last question I think uh, is the obvious one. How does the appointment of Zinedine Zidane actually affect this? Does this still happen now that he's come in the door?
0: I don't think it makes um any significant difference um at all. Um and I, I think you can just look at what Florentino Perez told um journalists on record um after Zidane. Uh, Zidane's uh, arrival or return to the club had been formally announced. He asked whether he would be signing um, Neymar or Kylian Mbappé, and and he said both.
2: And I don't think that's any massive surprise to you know people in football because these are two players who have Madrid to have pursued before. Um, uh, indeed, they tried to uh, get Mbappé out of his loan contract uh, when he initially joined PSG. Uh, and we know that Neymar is coveted. Um, I think Zidane returns to Real Madrid um, after a nine-month sabbatical on a promise, and I'm pretty sure the promise is that they will sign a significant one or two players this summer, with Neymar being top of that list.
1: OK, well, it's time for the donkeys now. And this is the round where we give out our fabled Dunkey Awards. Ian will give uh, the nominees to Duncan, who will then decide which one is the winner. This week's award is the West Bromwich Albion Award for the most ridiculous decision of the season. Obviously, this is based on the fact that West Brom decided to dispense with their manager, Darren Moore, despite them being... Fourth in the league and very much in contention for a playoff place uh, in the championship. So, without further ado, Ian. So, I'm just opening up that golden envelope
2: to reveal this uh, week's nominations for the very coveted Donkey Award. Uh, I'm pleased to say that Phil uh, Munner's son, Tony Khan, uh, who um, infamously uh, said that Claudio Ranieri was a risk free appointment when they made him manager. Uh, the second manager of their season this season, um, and obviously we all know how that went. So Tony's the first nomination. The second one is got to go to those people at Chelsea, and you know who you are, uh, who appointed Maurizio Osari, a man who has fallen down more um, yeah. holes in the road, the film Road, than he has got out of uh, in terms of the way that he has um, both portrayed himself and uh, managed to manage his team so far. But I think probably my favourite, and, and you know, this goes with the theme of, of our podcast, has got to be the one and only great Florentino Perez, uh, president of Real Madrid, a man of yeah. immense power and charisma who um, has presided over, even by Real Madrid's standards, a season of mental chaos. So much so, I would compare him to the legendary Mike Reed of run-around fame on children's television, for those of you of a certain age, where he would say to his managers, run around now, and uh, whoever got on the right number would become manager, because let's face it, that's what it looks like at the Santiago Bernabeu uh, so far this season. And Duncan, I hand over to you to inscribe that name on the the famous Donkey Award.
0: Um, Yeah, another strong field this week. Uh, I think though you're correct. Um, Florentino Perez is the uh, outstanding candidate here, and um, he'll be delighted to know that he's got one of the transfer windows' top prizes to add to that uh, burgeoning Real Madrid.
1: One of the transfer windows' top prizes. This is the top prize, Duncan. I'm sure it'll go. It'll sit
2: sit very well above the twelfth European Cup that they've won.
0: They, well, the you know the trophy cabinet needs something this season. And <laughs> what better to have than a transfer window donkey award for for worst uh, worst decision of the season? Um, which is actually you have to wonder which one is the worst because he, he he managed to appoint a coach, uh, mess up Spain's World Cup, uh, sack him. Uh, not get the guy who wanted to replace him and then put Santi Solari in charge when he had the opportunity to um, appoint uh, far better uh, qualified individuals as the uh, as the, the fix to that error. But certainly it's Florentino Perez it's, uh, get it sent over to Madrid, Johnny.
1: Well, Duncan, I will package up that donkey and get it sent off to Madrid. I suspect it may end up in Florentino's toilet, but nonetheless, I'm sure it will go down well. Go down where well, Johnny in his toilet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure the donkey flushes. It's rather a large dome. Do
2: you know what? I, I was going to say, I, I, I'm pretty sure that Florentino might be employing the plumbers.
0: Just make sure you polish it before you send it off.
2: Hey!
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's time to wrap up this particular transfer window, but fear not, we'll be back on Friday to fulfil all your podcasting needs. To continue the debate, we are all on Twitter and have our own transfer window account at TransferPodcast. Uh, I'm at Johnny R McFarlane. Ian is at Garpo SG, and Duncan is at Duncan Castles. If you like the podcast, and we know thousands of you do, give something back by popping onto iTunes and giving us a five star review. That's really, really important as it helps us go to the top of the rankings when someone searches for a football podcast. So please, please, please do that if you really enjoy the pod. Until Friday, thanks for listening.